Hey everyone, welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. It's the end of 2018, and I'm happy to be bringing you the fourth and final part of our Games of the Year discussion. In this episode, I talk to two other writers about three of the best video games this year. In section one, I talk about the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. In section two, Garland Pan talks about Greece. And in section three, Joel Zerlip talks about NBA 2K19. You can find timestamps for each section as well as more information about the games we discuss in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on darkstation.com. There you can find the Darkcast Interviews podcast as well as video game reviews, previews, and features. You can find all of our writers' top five game of the year lists and our winners for best games of the year as voted for by our writers. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, Find us on Facebook and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. Back to the dark cast, everybody. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is Joel Zerlup. How are you? I am here, and I am going to take your slot. Actually, oh god, things are changing. <laughs> I know. I don't think I've taken the hosting roles since like episode like 20. So it's been like 10 years. Um, but I am excited because today we are going to talk about one of your favorite games of 2018. We have been hearing a lot from the other editors here on DarkStation.com about what their favorite, one of their favorite games of 2018 was. But I am now curious, Jonathan, like you've heard everyone's case. What game do you want to talk about today? So what I really want to talk about is Spider-Man. That was my game of <laughs> yeah, the year. Me too, actually. <laughs> uh, but we cannot talk about Spider-Man because someone no. has already done that. Yes. Yeah, we're not talking about Spider-Man. Uh, if you want to hear that, check out part three. Uh, Brian and I go into to great detail with it. Uh, uh, yeah, no, Brian's the so, right person to talk about it. Though. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. He was the so, first person to sign up. He was like, yeah. I'm signing up for Spider-Man. Nobody's taking this away from me. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so logic might dictate that I would talk about my second pick on my top five, which is Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, but that game's been re-released twice now. Yep. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have talked about Shadow of the Colossus, and I don't think there's anything that I can add to that yep. conversation. Fair enough. So, what I want to talk about is the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit, uh, which is basically a demo for Life is Strange 2, which I feel like that makes it really odd to kind of put on my top five list. So, have, so have you played Life is Strange, the first episode of Season 2? I've not played it yet, no. Wow, okay, so that's why I was... Yeah, I, I know we usually have the rule that you have to have the full season in to mm-hmm. put it on your list. I'm surprised you have not played that yet. I So when I got into Life is Strange 1, I waited yeah. until well after it was all released, and I played through it. And that is an incredibly emotionally charged game. Mm-hmm. Like, every episode ends. It just makes you feel terrible, whether, like, somebody dies or you change time and now your best friend is a quadriplegic or, like, it's just, it tugs at your heartstrings, like, every chance that it gets. Um, and so I played through it when I when I got it, and uh, I honestly, I think I would have a hard time spacing that game out um, because... Right. The, like, the emotions need to stay charged, in a way, you know? For I feel like that's, like, maximum impact. And it's been a long gap. I want to say episode one came out, what, September? Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, it's episode two. I don't actually... It's either January it. or February of that's, 2019 is when it's coming out. So it's, um, it's definitely a large gap. But, you know, I would much rather them take that route than, you know, try to cram uh, episodes out and, you know, them not be up to, to quality. So. I feel like you're throwing some shade Telltale's way, what? but I feel like you don't want to say that because now no. they're gone, yeah. and so yeah, like we all need to pour one that. out for them. But Indeed. Okay. 
Indeed. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll let that one pass. Pulling one out for Telltale, Batman, uh, The Enemy Within was in my top five as well. But. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to transition to that. But that's interesting because I actually really liked that as well. I, uh, it is a very, very good, good um, episodic game. I wish. I don't know why that game didn't take off. I don't. I don't either. Um, it's it's really interesting. I've played really just a smattering of Telltale games over the years. Um, and the ones that have left an impact on me is the first season of The Walking Dead and the two Batman games, mm-hmm. and everything else has basically just faded from from memory. Yeah, uh, those That's, Batman games are, are very good, though. They are. They're well acted. Good story. A very interesting stories. I mm-hmm. think they're they're really well done. Good, but we're not here to ten- talk about no, no. Uh, not that not that one or Life is Strange, really. Well, so the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit uh, tells its own kind of encapsulated tale like you don't have to play any of the other life is strange games it's really just a kind of a cameo at the very end of the game that ties it to the second season of life is strange 2 so it's very much its own thing and because it's not you know part of one of the other episodes or something like that it's not it's not really a demo um what's the elevator pitch what 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 is so it's really about. simple. You are Chris Erickson. You're a nine-year-old boy who is playing at home on a lazy, like, Saturday afternoon. It's Christmas time, and uh, your dad is kind of a drunken slob, and your your mom uh, has passed away at the beginning of the game. You don't, as the player, you don't really know what's happening. Um, but in very much Life is Strange fashion you're finding clues all over the the house and just picking up things and i one of the things that i love about a life is strange game is you have these moments where you can just kind of sit down and the amazing soundtrack that they always have kind of rises and the the camera will just kind of move around the room you'll get some different shots and you'll have this person that you know they're just like laying on a bed or they're sitting in a treehouse or they're sitting on a bench or whatever the case may be and it's one of those moments it's like the point in the movie where the character's life changes because of something internal that they decide and you can just kind of do that whenever you want to in these games you can just like find these spots to sit and reflect uh, and those are those are just really interesting moments but basically you're you're finding all these clues uh you know as a as a player they're clues as uh as a character they're just mementos there's just right. normal things around the house and you're just kind of learning about your character and his past but basically uh chris has the, his own superhero that he pretends to be and that's captain spirit and at the beginning of the game, you get to decide what his costume is going to be, whether it uses like dark colors or light colors or primary okay. colors, whether he uses more armor or he needs to be more agile. And then later on, you play dress up. And so what you draw at the beginning actually reflects later on in the game of what uh, superhero costume Chris puts on. And so basically, all, all of the things that you're doing, your, your missions or your objectives – tie to something to do with Captain Spirit. Uh, he needs to blow up a snowman who's his yep. arch nemesis, or he finds um, this maze out in the, the front yard, which is really just where some like lumber has fallen. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's this very, you know, not exciting thing, but because you're a nine-year-old, he's able to make it exciting. Everything, Everything. is infused yeah, yeah, yeah. with this with just imagination and it's it further enhances that with um you know you'll cook some macaroni and cheese for your dad and then you can hold one of the triggers and he'll pretend like he's using the force or something to cook the macaroni and cheese (laughs) um but it's it's really funny to see that and there's some like home alone style stuff where he's like afraid of the water heater Uh, and it's Uh. just it's just yeah. adorable. Like, it's so good. But it, it's still very heartfelt and kind of heart-wrenching as you kind of really? learn. Okay, because, you... like, everything you've said so far is very, like, light and airy. And I'm like, this does not feel Life is Strange at all. Like, I, I think of Life is Strange as kind of dour. Everything's kind, yeah. of, kind of coming in on itself. This seems like so, a little bit more so of a that positivity, is... light of positivity. 
that is there, but the thing is, is that you're coming to that darker world way. from a, a, a more fun way from a yeah. from a nine year old's perspective, really. Because I mean, like your your dad is literally like drunk on the sofa the entire time you're playing the game, mm. um, and really the the more emotional parts come from you finding out like what happened to your mom. And kind of how that has affected Chris as a character and really like kind of his superpowers of coping in a way. Um, And I don't know, you know, it's just it's one of those games that I just feel like people should play. Like you don't have to be a fan of uh, The Walking Dead or Telltale Games or Life is Strange, uh, but it just has this really simple short story that I feel like is emotionally impactful, and it's free. <laughs> Which is, I mean, this whole thing is weird. Like, I, do you think that they had different plans for this, and they just decided to cut it and make it a free episode? Like, you said it barely ties. In, well, I know you haven't played Life is Strange right. too, but like, well, even so from, from what, what I, heard, from what I understand, Chris becomes like a side character in episode two. Oh, okay. Um, so at the the main plot of. Life is Strange 2 follows uh, these two brothers, right. and I don't remember what their names are right now. But basically, something has happened, and they're sort of on the run. Okay. And the their paths kind of intersect. So I think it's almost like a um, The Last of Us thing of, like, seasons change uh, right, throughout right. the uh, episodes of Life is Strange 2. Yep. And in episode 2... It's winter slash Christmas time, and that's when they kind of meet Chris. And so basically at the, at the very end, uh, because Life is Strange is like a, a supernatural kind of thing, somebody always has powers. Um, and in this case, it's the, the little brother of the, the two brothers in Life is Strange 2 who has like telekinesis or something like that. Um, so that, that comes into play. But it comes into play in this like just really – exciting wonderful like totally vibes with who chris is and like how he wants to be captain spirit and like it, it's not nearly as emotionally dredging as life is strange because one right. of my problems with life is strange is that i've tried multiple times to play through the season again and i usually get through about episode one and then I start remembering all the crap that I'll have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, yeah. not doing it. <laughs> and those episodes are just a little bit longer than like bite size. Um, they are. They are. They're, they're, they're a long sit, as I like to say. Yes, um, absolutely. I, I guess I, I'm, I am curious without spoiling. Is this a fully self-contained story? Like, is there any potential for follow-up for this? Or is this kind of feeling like it was just a one-off? No, I, I think it's a I think it's a one off. I think it's really there to cool. give like Chris backstory to give him um I don't know, a, a bigger role in whatever his role is in, in episode two. I d I don't think we'll be playing as him or really delving too much more into him. Uh because it's really just I don't know, like almost like a, a simple character study of a, a kid who lost his mom in a lot of ways and how he deals with that. This is probably the first demo since PT that's hit someone's top five list yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that i can think of um that's really cool like I, I i would love to know more about why they chose to go this route but like how i, I also just love that they took a a much more uh uh light and airy tone even if there is some dark stuff in there like I don't know. It's just something nice about seeing the world through a nine-year-old's eyes. <laughs> there <laughs> like is. Just, I, that I to remember, me is just, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, when this was announced at E3 and, like, it was coming up, I, I think we were, you know, chatting in uh, Discord yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever. It's just like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. I want to play this right now. <laughs> why aren't more games? like? And that's probably why both of us wanted to, to – you know what? I always – to take a side tangent but very connected – I think that's why I liked Spider-Man so much this year. Like, yeah. I just felt like I needed to see the world through, like, a lighter, more, like, just joyous experience. And, like, that sounds like this game as well. So that's really cool. Absolutely. And both of those games have their uh, emotional punches that they pull. But yeah. at the end of the day, you're you're getting to play a game through somebody who is, like, genuinely good at heart. And that is yeah. that is nice. Well, that is awesome. I don't know if you have anything else to talk about with the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. 
I do not. But if I w- not, I know how we end these episodes. Um, so you've talked about a game that you really enjoyed in 2019. What about a mm-hmm. game that came out before 2019 that you enjoyed this year? Uh, well, so far, everything has come out before 2019, Joel. Or 2018. <laughs> you know what? It's early. Okay. It's early. Let me try that again. Jonathan, <laughs> what game did you enjoy before 2018 that you enjoyed in 2018? A little behind the scenes. I am literally looking at a screen that says favorite game released before 2018, played in 2018, and I am like stumbling left and right all over that. But I'm excited because I know what it's- game you're talking about. So uh, it's funny. When I wrote my list, I put down Silent Hill Shattered Memories, uh, okay. which was a, a Wii game. Uh, yeah. It's very good. I would recommend if you've got a Wii buried somewhere and you can find this game, uh, you, you should As play most it. of us probably do. Right, yeah, sure. Wiis are just buried everywhere. They, they are. <laughs> it's like copies of E.T. They're just yeah, exactly. everywhere They're just, buried yeah, in exactly. the ground. Um. But it's funny because I I had randomly like booted up my PS3 because I don't know I just I didn't want to play anything like new, and I was okay. like oh, we'll just let's load this up and Sly Cooper was in my PlayStation I was like oh I never finished Sly three I should start playing that started playing it I was like man this is not as good as Sly two Sly two is just amazing okay so you're talking I, about the Sly collection on PS3 yes yeah, Sly okay, Cooper so- with the raccoon made by Sucker Punch the guys probably more famous now uh, from the infamous games for anybody that doesn't know. Um, And so Sly Cooper was originally a PS2 like trilogy, had an HD remake in the PS3 era. And uh, I'm playing Sly 3 and I was just like, man, you know what? I wish I had played Sly Cooper 2 in 2018 so that it could be my game played (laughs) this year before. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, I think I did play that this year. I went and looked at my trophies, and yeah, sure enough, I played it this year. I was like, oh my god, this year has both flown by, and it feels like five years since January. Yeah, (laughs) 100%. Could not describe 2018 better. So Sly Cooper 2 is just an amazing character platformer game oh my gosh, uh, yeah. of of the mascot platformers of the ps2 era i think specifically slide Two, that game uh is the best of the bunch the others being ratchet and clank and jack and daxter uh, yep the the first sly cooper feels very much a kind of a game lost between two generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has the live systems and like the one or two hit kill uh, from older platformer games. You're relying more on just dexterity of jumping. And it it uses the whole idea that you're a thief in the story very well. And I think the characters, Bentley and Murray and everybody are still done very well. Uh, but overall, I you know, usually you just kind of go into a level and you have an object at the end that you need to collect, which, you know, technically you're a thief and you're stealing it, but mechanically it's it's not a whole lot different than any other game. Um, the biggest difference would be you can, like, shimmy up uh, poles and right. go across um, wires and stuff like that. But Sly Cooper 2 really takes that whole idea and, like, I don't know, it makes the game mechanics work with the idea that you're a thief much better. So instead of just having these like random objects that you need to steal and then you have a boss fight because that's how it works, um, you're always pulling off a heist. And so they very much pull from like the Ocean's Eleven uh, book of how to do a heist. And you've got Bentley making these ridiculous plans to like drop signs onto the ground to break a hole in the street so that you can get into the sewers and break into this, you know, casino. And like, it's, it's always just like the dumbest ideas, but it's great because it's a cartoon basically. Um, so the, the whole progression of the game works extremely well, but then also the way that they use stealth and the fact that you've got these kind of mini open worlds that feel very refreshing compared yep. to today's giant open worlds. Yeah. Um, and they, they enhance the kind of thief mechanics that you have. So instead of just having a one-hit kill on you and a one-hit kill on enemies, uh, and also with enemies previously, if you just kind of run 
20 feet away from them, then they lose track of you. Right. And this one, they right. actually they chase you. Uh, but the other thing is that, you know, you could just hit an enemy and kill him or do a sneak attack. Um, but it really tries to make you be more of a thief because now you can pickpocket enemies. And yep. so you can pull some coins out, and if you just hit them, then you'll get a few coins. But if they have anything valuable on them, it'll break. So you have to pickpocket them to get that more valuable stuff, which you need money to buy upgrades and stuff like that. Um, and just the way that upgrades work, the way that you have uh, different objectives on this kind of main map that take you into these more linear-specific missions – just a lot of the roots of modern open world games feel like they didn't come from this game. I feel like there's a lot of stuff from the PS2 era. You've got your Grand Theft Autos, you've got mm-hmm. Sly 2. Um, but it's like it feels like a very obvious uh, source for yep. a lot of today's open a world A super mechanics. important building block, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so not not only it's like and it's gorgeous. It, it is like it still looks really it's good. It's got the it's the Wind Waker effect, right? Yeah. It is that that is an art style that I don't know why we didn't see more of in that generation where you didn't have the horsepower to put out full 3D rendered graphics like you do now, but you had the ability to do these cel shaded graphics, which slide to. Um, outside of Wind Waker is still one of the prettiest games out there. Like they actually, I don't, if I remember correctly, Sly 3 doesn't look, um, it's a little darker if I remember correctly. So the, the colors are muddier. Yeah. Uh, It's it's weird because, so the first level of Sly 2 is Paris and it's like nighttime and it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, the first level of Sly 3 is, I think it's Venice and it's like this twilight kind of time so the 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 sky is still kind of light but obviously it's getting darker but it i don't know it's it feels like the world is painted that color but that there's no actual twilight coming from the sun right. if that makes right. sense like the it just feels off right um and there's also weird things with sly 3 of the the whole hd upgrade like the um the letter boxes don't actually stretch all the way across the screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. And there, there's all these little oddities with that one where it feels like that one was like had to be rushed through the HDification or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sly, Sly 3 does not look as good. And there's there's also character animation stuff where, like, the, the when people move their head around, like, the texture mesh on their neck just doesn't move correctly with it. And it's stuff mm-hmm. that... The second game never had a problem with, which I think a lot of it has to do not just with um, the HD remake of it, but there were two years between Sly 1 and Sly 2, uh, but there was only one year or may have been a little bit less than a year between Sly 2 and Sly 3. So they pumped that third game out real quick. Yeah. Uh, Which is a thing that a lot of, like, the third game in a character platforming game, like, they they did that. I want to say Jack 3 came out really soon after Jack 2. Yep. And I know that uh, Ratchet and Clank 3 came out really soon after Ratchet. Well, they pumped out a lot of Ratchet games. I mean, Ratchet was the only one that really made the jump to PS3. I mean, Sly had Sly 4, which was... um, made by a different developer, which I just looked up and already forgot. Um, uh, Sanzaru? Yeah, Sanzaru. And, and Sly 4 is actually not... It, it's a, it's solid. It's not great, but it, it's not the highs of Sly 2. Sly 2 is the pinnacle of the Sly yeah. franchise, yeah, for I, sure. So I would probably say, like, Sly 2... Uh, four, three, and then one. Yeah, I would I, say if if you're interested because of what Jonathan's been talking about, skip one because one yeah. is really the. I already used the word building block, but it is. It is like just a. It was them learning what they wanted yeah. to do it's, for. Slide it's two. your Assassin's Creed one to yeah, Assassin's exactly. Creed two. It's your infamous one to infamous two. Yeah, Uncharted one to Uncharted two. There there, there's yeah. a lot of examples of like you've got a first game where the. The basics are there, yeah. but if you really want to have fun, play the second one. Yeah. Um, and people should absolutely play Sly 2. It holds up. I don't know if they can unless they have a PS3, right? I don't think they've... It is uh, on PlayStation it... Now. Oh, that service. Um, I don't know if that works at all, <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah. Is it is there. It is there. It is there. Oh. 
Because awesome. I, I looked that up when I because that's the way I ended uh my my segment on the game was that like if you haven't played it, please God go play it. Yeah. And I was like, wait, can people play? Can it? people play it without <laughs> without digging up their Wii and their PS3? Yeah. Um. I, I would. Uh, yeah. I'm actually surprised they haven't just brought out the collection uh, of that and Ratchet and Jack to PS4. There's zero reason why they shouldn't. Those are those are platformers. So that's the other. The good, the good news for all three of those franchises is they're platformers, and those seem to hold up a lot better than any other sort of genre. So, absolutely. So, absolutely. very cool. Uh, anything else on slide two? Just go play it. It's yeah, it's real good. <laughs> well, if not, then uh, let's take us to another break, and we will come back and see what happens after this. Sounds good. Welcome back to the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is Garland Pan. How are you doing, Garland? I'm doing great, Jonathan. How about you? I'm doing good. At this point in, like, real time, not internet time, I have edited three of the four Game of the Year podcasts, and I've had a great time being able to sit down to talk with people about... Uh, some games that obviously we knew were gonna, you know, be talked about at the end of the year, and then some games that I hadn't really paid any attention to, and now kind of really want to play. Um, and one of those games is is what we're talking about today. It's something that I had not heard of at all until it kind of took gaming media by storm, and just it felt like it kind of came out of the blue and just like slid into a bunch of people's you know top five lists and stuff like that, which is really awesome. And what what is that game that we're talking about today? Well, we're talking about Greece. And so, for anybody that doesn't know, can you give us the elevator pitch for for what that game is? It's a very beautiful game that a new studio has uh, created. Uh, there's a very notable watercolor aesthetic to it all and it's about how a uh, young girl deals with a great sadness in her life the journey is somewhat um it's more of a metaphor for how she figures out how to deal with um the trauma that she's facing and from her past it's a little it's very much open to interpretation though and i don't want to give too much away but yeah cool i've heard a lot uh, about the story that it's very obtuse it's very my brain's failing me on the the right words right now, but uh, you know it's not a, it's not a specific story about specific events. It's more allegorical in a way or something like that. But a lot of times, the uh, video games kind of be a little try to be hazy on their story. It ends up feeling like a story about nothing, but that Greece actually I don't know it's, it packs some like emotion behind it and stuff. Would you say that that's an adequate uh, assessment? That's definitely the case. I mean. A lot of games are open to interpretation. When some games might like not really say anything, Greece definitely has some uh, solid parts to the story that really tie it to a sort of reality. It's not too vague. I, I definitely know what you're talking about when you're talking about some uh, some games that don't really have a message behind it, though. Right. Well, it's. I feel like there's plenty of games that don't try to have a message, and then there are other ones that do try, but then they try to be very vague in the way that they come across with it, and so it ends up feeling like it. There's just nothing. Um, it's. Uh, I don't know. Video games are a difficult thing to write for, and making it harder on yourself is is not always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is it about Greece that puts it? Um, on your top five list that makes it a game that you want to talk about today? Well, there are a couple of things that really stood out to me. I mean, right off the bat, the the visual style is very distinct. The artistry behind all the uh, environments as well as, like, the high quality of animation that we see in the game is just spectacular all the way throughout the game. And there's this uh, interconnectivity between how the game progresses, as well as the um, colors that uh, show up in the backgrounds. Because, like, 
in the beginning of the game, the main character falls down from a great height, and she reaches a monochromatic landscape. And as she progresses, you unlock like more colors over time, and this informs the uh, the landscapes and as well as the uh, abilities and obstacles that uh, she runs into. Interesting. Now, I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like this is a weird comparison that some people have made that it, it, you know, at first glance, it just looks like a 2D journey, which, I don't know, I feel like that's kind of a ridiculous thing to, to say because from the trailers, I've only seen like a few seconds of like surfing on some sand and mm-hmm. that, that's only like one moment of journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's probably only one moment from this game. So to use those two singular moments from these two different games and say, Hey, these are, these are basically the same, but one is in 2d and the other's in 3d is kind of completely ridiculous. But are there any other ties, uh, that make it feel, I don't know, like a cousin or something like that to journey? It did remind me of journey based on that desert scene, but mm-hmm. Besides that, there's definitely some inspiration behind it. Um, for example, there's a distinct focus on like being easy to play. Like you can just pick it up and play if you're if you're new to even video games. It's pretty straightforward in general. However, like Greece puts in more mechanics behind it, and there's a general. It's a more personal story compared to the more open and adventurous journey with the with the online mechanic behind it and all the uh, communication that's primarily for like talking to someone online right mm-hmm. and uh, just the other thing is just the fact that the art style is very um, it stands out you know very cool. Um, now you said that it lays on more mechanics of the game. Uh, kind of what what is the gameplay like? Well, it plays like a standard puzzle platformer game. However, there's some abilities that you um, obtain over time, and they suit the the obstacles that the main character faces throughout. So there, you might get like a double jump and a glide in order to to cover greater ground, or you might be able to obtain the ability to withstand powerful sandstorms. It's all there to tackle whatever's in the situation that ties into the colors, and uh, a lot of the obstacles you run into are kind of like puzzles they're very they're usually pretty lightweight puzzles though they don't really leave you stumped it's more just to you know have a set a sort of uh, progression a sort of conflict and it actually ties into the story like it's it was pretty surprising to me how well the actions that you take or the actions you take in the game actually tie into how the actual plot of the game functions. Um, any other thoughts on, on Greece before we talk about your, your favorite game that you um, played in 2018 that was released previously? I mean, a few things that I liked about it, besides what I already mentioned, would have to be like how it just kept the journey very short and sweet and how it's just easy to play. Like It's casting a wider net towards like casuals and hardcore gamers alike and it's kind of complicated when it comes to like length of a game nowadays because a lot of people like to talk about how long a game is as a sort of value Mm -hmm. but like for people of less time or you know after playing a lot of games over the years the length of a game doesn't really isn't isn't as much of a, a pro as it is potentially a con right and it's not really a scale for, for value or anything like that. We don't get up in arms when a movie is, you know, two and a half, you know, you know, a movie's worth it if it's two and a half hours long, but it's not if it's only two hours long. So we have this weird, 
like value scale when it comes to video games. Bringing Journey kind of back into the conversation when that came out, that was I think fifteen bucks, and it was an hour to an hour and a half long to to play through, and there were a lot of people that seemed to feel gypped by that because oh it's it's a shorter condensed experience, but I don't know we we've just got this weird value scale when it comes to to video games. Uh, we keep trying to say that they're art, but then there's at least a loud group of people, whether they're a majority or a minority, um, online that uh, kind of cry foul if it's not up to their consumer standards. And so it's, I don't know, I, I get I get frustrated with video games when it feels like we're trying to say, no, this is actually an art form, it's not just a... It's not just a thing. It's not just entertainment, though it, it definitely is entertainment. Um, but then we like put chains on it to keep it in the consumer entertainment area rather than it getting to be in that more artistic area, which is it's, you know, it's one of the great things about the, the indie scene having exploded for the last couple of years. And these developers, if I'm not mistaken, they branched off of uh, Ubisoft. Is that... Yeah, I think I remember reading that somewhere. Okay, and and I really loved the the couple of UbiArt games uh, that they made, uh, the Rayman, uh, the 2D Rayman games that came out in the last couple of years, Valiant Hearts, uh, Child of Light. Uh, this definitely seems like you know some kind of cousin to that in a way, if if just you know artistic style. And I'm I'm happy that people can can do that and and make that stuff and hopefully continue to push the medium forward. Sorry, I'll, I'll get off my random soapbox that just appeared and I was apparently on. Well, let's uh, let's talk about your favorite game that you played in 2018 but was released previously. What is that? Well, I played a, a Hat in Time. I've heard good things about that. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know what a hat in time is, if you could just kind of give a quick recap of it. It's a sort of indie revival of the 3D platforming genre. I mean, it's kind of about a little alien girl who needs to retrieve the game's MacGuffins. The MacGuffins, in this case, are these timepieces. They're like shaped like hourglasses, and she needs them to return home. She's kind of like E.T. in that regard. So what, what makes A Hat in Time so good? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is just the charm factor. It's filled with uh, colorful, quirky characters, and the, the story's just a fun roller coaster of uh, unexpected and zany interactions with the whole cast. Besides that, mechanically... It provides a lot of uh, a lot of movement mechanics that would um, maintain movement a lot better than something like Super Mario Sunshine and uh, Super Mario Galaxy. Even they don't really excel at maintaining flow. Uh, a Hat in Time really provides a lot of tools for making movement smooth and platforming uh, very. Uh, easy to go through, I guess. Okay. Well, uh, anything else that's particularly stand out uh, about the game? Well, in terms of the the general interactions, or actually the levels, it's very diverse. Like you won't really expect what you're going to get over time. You start off with a level sort of like Isle Delfino in Super Mario Sunshine, and then. Uh, Right after that, you get thrown into like a train, and you're solving a detective mystery, or you're thrown into like the city, or you're thrown into like a strange, creepy forest full of ghosts. Uh, my favorites would have to be the train sequence and the and the forest. Very cool. Well, uh, any final thoughts about? A Hat in Time or Grease before we move on to the next section? Nothing in particular. I mean, we're, but in general, we're just talking about indie games and they're really making like a big splash in the industry right now. Well, Garland, thank you for sitting down and talking with me about 
Grease and a Hat in Time. I look forward to talking to you more in 2019. Well, thanks, Jonathan. Welcome back to the Darkcast. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me is, once again, Joel Zerlup. I am here, but this time it's my time to tell you about great games. Indeed it is. Uh, so, I just want to say before, th- this is the, the last segment of uh, our Game of the Year stuff. I've talked to a whole bunch of different people, and I can't think of a better way than uh, you know finish out the year talking to you, Joel. We always have a good time on the show. Um, I thought you were going to say to talk about a sports game. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is going a completely different direction than I thought it was going to start off with. But I love the sentiment. I am happy to be here uh, to talk about one of my favorite games of 2018. So, unfortunately, uh, you, you had a really strong list of uh-huh. games of the year, but yep. we have talked about... Four out of the five. <laughs> we have. Already. We have. Um, I, I tend to go with pop culture, so I tend to go with the AAA stuff. Um, and so, yeah, four out of my five were taking with, I think they were like first the first four to be taken. So I uh, was not surprised that I'd have to go deeper into my list to be able to talk about a game. So, uh, so what are we talking about today? So I wish, I wish with all of my heart we were talking about... Uh, World Tour Tennis or AO Tennis or a long-time listeners of the Darkcast, you know I've been dying for a new tennis game. Two of them came out this year and both of them were atrocious, so I will not be giving them any more airtime. They're really, really bad. Yes, you can still screw up a tennis game in 2018. I don't know how that's possible. So sad. But you can. You can have bad frame rates. You can have major technical glitches. Um, just a whole it's... atrocious set of problems. I do feel very fortunate that I'm not talking about those other four games because I'm the (laughs) only one in this website probably that would bring up a sports game. And it came down to two for me. One was FIFA 19 and one was NBA 2K19. And I have to give the nod this year to NBA 2K19. Um, It is my number five game of the year. It has been on my list uh, for many years going. And I still to this day am just amazed at how much good work people the fine folks at visual concepts can put into a sports game every 12 months um and i'll tell you a little bit about nba 2k uh it is a franchise that literally destroyed the nba live franchise uh back in the early uh early teens um nba elite 11 i believe was the game that ended up not coming out because it was too buggy and that franchise went away for about five years and has yet to recover um because of the dominance of 2k uh with nba 2k it is taken over that game sells nba 2k on i believe sells about 10 million copies a year um it is just amazing uh the work that they're able to do what is so great and what gives the edge to NBA 2K, though, is not only does it have uh, amazing visuals, it's still one of the best-looking games on consoles, not only does it have uh, great gameplay, uh, which is continued to be improved on this year, it has a full-blown story mode, uh, which uh, ha- stars, shoot, uh, the guy who plays Nighthawk uh, in uh, the Marvel movies. It's got Haley Joel Osment in it, uh, who plays an agent what? Yep. What? What? Yes. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, last year, I think it was. I think it was last year that had Michael B. Jordan in it. Um, it is. It it does not hold any punches. It's got the story mode this year is far better than it's been in the last couple of years. It's got a full playground mode, which is kind of like uh, PlayStation Home, where you can play arcade games, you can play pickup basketball, you can go to Foot Locker and buy your avatar, some new clothes. It does still have some terrible microtransactions, which I'll avoid because we're being positive um it also has a full text adventure which probably most people don't know wait um, wait what 
Yeah, it's got a full <laughs> text adventure game where you play the, uh, I believe it's the GM, I believe it's my GM mode, where it's got a full text adventure where uh, there are some misspellings and some bad punctuation, but yes, you can play a full text adventure where uh, you select dialogue options and make decisions for your team and random stuff happens and you can play a full text adventure. You can obviously still play online and play against friends and all that kind of good stuff. It is a... What's interesting about sports games is the first couple years of a sports game on a new console, it's all about the technical stuff. It's graphics, it's gameplay, it's how do, how do we make the leap to the new consoles. Later in the life cycle, as we are now on the PS4 and Xbox One generation, you get to feature creep where they just start throwing everything they have um, at a franchise. And that's kind of where we're at right now with 2K19. It has so much stuff in it that you could easily, I, I could easily see how someone makes it one of the two or three games they play in a year there's just so much stuff in this game um and it's all really really well done and it's all built around what is in my opinion still one of the best if not the best uh made sports games um a quick side note is i went uh i played the game just random pickup game on uh the day after christmas and i want to say the commentators knew what day it was and were like hey i hope you had a merry christmas it's almost new year's enjoy the game between you know golden state warriors and the lakers and it's just like amazing how much depth the commentating has they have guest appearances by bill simmons and kobe bryant and kevin garnett who come and do commentary when you're playing as the lakers or um, the Celtics, it just has so much stuff in it and it never ceases to amaze me at how well it captures the real life sport of basketball. In fact, there was a, a great interview IGN did with one of the, I think it's the gameplay director of um, NBA 2K19. Uh, and he was actually at 2K, went to EA to do NBA Live and came back to 2K and was just talking about their regimen of getting, you know, a game out. Basically, every nine months, they're finishing a game, which um, wow. leads me to always think that sports games get a short short stick when it comes to game of the year because they're coming out with one annualized. And I think what's amazing with NBA 2K is they take a lot of the stuff of their learnings each year and they still somehow manage to bring them in uh, new ideas and fresh stuff to each game. And I think 2K19 is just so dang impressive and it deserves to sell as many copies as it does because it's just a labor of love you can see how much the the team just loves basketball and loves what they're doing because there's just so much love put into this game um so yeah nba 2k19 i i think it's one of the best sports games ever made and i say that pretty much every year because these guys just continue to make amazing basketball games and they're just so much fun. I cannot tell you how many people come into uh, if I'm playing at uh, my house or um, someone else's house and think it's just real life basketball. And it's really cool because it's getting <laughs> so dang close and it looks so good. Um, yeah, so that's NBA that is, 2K19. That is incredible. You're you're making me somebody who never plays sports games. I, I literally – I will buy like a baseball game and usually – Previous generations, until Forza Horizon came out, I would buy like a baseball game, a football game, and a racing game per console per generation. generation. Yeah, like just yeah. one. Like that's all I need. Yep. That's just to do like a home run derby. You know, when yeah, a friend sure. comes over yep. or play an exhibition game of football. Because again, like say somebody came over and it's just an easy, fun multiplayer game yep. to to entertain people with. Uh, you're you're actually making me want to buy a basketball game, which the only one I have is, I believe, NBA 2K for my Dreamcast. <laughs> it's funny because uh, the, when NBA 2K came out, now there was always a fan base that wanted, uh, that loved 2K over anything EA put out, just on principle. Um, and back then it was Sega uh, publishing those games. It wasn't until really the PS3 generation where I think the gap just completely widened and it flipped over to 2K. The interesting thing about basketball, which is why I was I started with the tennis games, is you'd think like there's nothing simpler than Pong on a screen, right? And how do you screw that Good up? Thing. Well, yeah. two did. Basketball is also a pretty – granted, 2K is crazy in-depth and they recreate the simulation of like a basketball game really well. But I think out of all the sports – You'd probably be best off getting someone who's never played a sports game to play 
um, something like NBA 2K. Obviously, there's arcade versions. There's Playgrounds, which you could play, which is basically NBA Jam. Um, hockey is not a bad bad one, but there there's something pretty incredible about the fact uh, with NBA 2K you have a pregame, which is basically the TNT crew who does the pregame and postgame for um, tons of basketball games throughout the year. Um, you have the the commentators, you have sideline reporters, you have guests, guest uh, reporters. You have so much just in the lead up and build up of the basketball game that really fuels what makes the NBA so much fun to watch that it's just really impressive. The story mode this year is really good. It's actually really fun. You start out in a Chinese basketball league. You then get to the minor leagues of the NBA before getting to the pros. Like there actually is a nice uh, comprehensive story. I will say 2K18 had the worst. You were a basketball player who became a DJ that then went to go play basketball again, <laughs> who whose name was DJ, um, which just was terrible. It was just really bad. And he had an Asian woman sidekick who was, uh, no what? offense to the voice actress, but she was just just grinded on you like the entire time just was the worst just not a good friend not a good voice acting job just really really bad this year at least it's a little bit more grounded like you're you're a college guy who thinks you should be in the pros you don't make it and so you got to work your way up and it's it's nice um i will say uh there are it is a grind like the story mode you are literally grinding points each game to build up your player so um, that can be a little annoying, but if you just enjoy it, which I do, I it's a nice 30-minute game where you can just pick up and jump in. And uh, every so often, you'll be surprised, and you'll have to do like a after-game um, interview with the radio or the TV hosts. Um, or you'll just have a cutscene where it's like, hey, uh, Gatorade's interested in sponsoring you. What do you think? Like, do you want to join Gatorade, or are you going to hold out hope that uh, – you know, uh, Reebok comes or, or maybe it's Under Armour comes to sponsor you. And it's uh, some cool, fun stuff to kind of keep you going into the mundane, you know, 80 plus game season that the NBA is. So, yeah. Oh, man, you you might get me to buy a sports game, Joel. <laughs> this is nuts. I don't wow. know what to do. I didn't <laughs> I didn't expect that turn to come. I really right? didn't. I, this is, this I is actually weird. prepared a couple notes because I wasn't sure you'd have much to build <laughs> off of. So I wanted to make sure I had enough to talk about because like, I feel like I'm the only one that's interested in this. But yeah, no, I, this, this I, it's really cool. Fascinating. Uh, yeah. No, it, what's fascinating to me is how much content these guys can put into a game each year. It is amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's in a, a recent episode, uh, Alan and I talked about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Mm-hmm. And that game was built alongside Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very obvious that it's it's kind of built on the same infrastructure, right? And it's very much a sequel to that game. Yep, um, absolutely. But then when you look at something like Assassin's Creed Three, which was done by another studio at the same time, and they didn't share information, then you had this really weird sequel to that. That you know, it, in a lot of ways, it's like a bunch of steps back because it's it's not building on those incremental steps of Assassin's Creed Brotherhood to Revelation to, to whatnot. Right. Um, and it is it is fascinating to me and, and kind of makes me just want to like buy the game just to show my appreciation to these developers that they can not only make a full game like every nine months, but improve on it and not just like somehow screw like because that's 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 crazy (laughs) yeah i mean there's no doubt that anyone that's played any sports game knows that there's going to be a little there's always going to be some bugs early but to be honest 2k is so smooth like it is um that and fifa are both games that um just come out almost year after year just Perfect's not the right word, but like incredibly well polished. And you got to imagine, and uh, I mentioned this already, but like IGN did an, uh, an interview with the gameplay director, and he was talking about, I think the podcast is called Unfiltered, um, where they do game dev talks. What's interesting though is like they don't have that much time to actually develop, and it's kind of like a cyclical cycle where they're just continuing to develop uh, the game, and it, it leads me to believe that one day, and we've been talking about this for 15 years with sports games, that they're just going to be a service. Like they're just going to continue to iterate and you pay nine ninety nine a month to continue to get those iterations. Like, or it's going to be Fortnite where it becomes like, you know, seasons Um, because their iterations are 
big and and I get that they want that $60 influx each year, but like they could continue to do this month after month. Like these games now, all sports games are uh, all of the major sports games are like this, but they're adding content. They're adding commentary. They're adding players. They're adding um, different like team locales. Sometimes they're adding content. They obviously, I haven't even talked about it, but they have a whole card game that I never play. Like there, there's so much <laughs> stuff in this game that they continue to iterate on throughout the year that I can't imagine what their team dynamics are and how they split up time because um, they have to also be thinking about what the future of this game is going to look like two or three years down the road. And they got to be planning for that stuff and new consoles coming out, what that looks like for the franchise, what, what modes continue to make it, what don't. You know, um, there's just so much stuff that goes into these sports games, specifically this one, which has so much content. Um, it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me. And I, I often have to take a step back and be like, you know, this is, this is a year and we're still seeing just near perfection of gameplay modes that work, um, new content It, it is really, really impressive. So, um, I'm happy to be able, uh, to talk about NBA 2K 19, um, which is just a phenomenal game of basketball. Fantastic. Well, uh, as anybody that has listened to uh, this series of podcasts knows, we like to finish off these segments by talking about one of our favorite games that came out before 2018, but we only just got a chance to play. So, Joel, what is that for you? So a little side story. It actually works out because last night, uh, my wife and I are going through these hundred, hundred top movies uh, of all time, um, and we randomly select movies as we go. We made this list together while we were on a plane, and we we're like, you know, we got there's so many movies we haven't seen. Let's look at like what some of these big lists are, and we made our own kind of list. And uh, the movie that randomly came up last night was Fellowship of the Ring, the first Lord of the Rings movie. And I accidentally bought the extended edition, which is like four hours long. And I actually really liked it. And that ties into a game that has no story that's completely missing all of the, like the, the beautiful handcrafted love that Peter Jackson put into fellowship of the ring, but it's got like some of the most compelling gameplay of any game out there. And that is middle earth shadow of war, a game that has absolutely no story, but is all combat and it's all open world. And it is um, a game that I missed in 2017, which is really weird because I loved um, shoot, Shadow, what is the first game? Shadow of Mordor. Shadow of Mordor. I love Shadow of Mordor. I don't know its name, but I love the game That's... so much. <laughs> um, I think that game, obviously, it had the Nemesis system, which no game has replicated, which we all thought would be replicated. Right. Um, Shadow of War is exactly what you'd expect the sequel to Shadow of Mordor to be, which is why I think the game fell flat for a lot of people. I missed it in 17. I didn't play it. I picked it up, but I did not play it. And I think it was over the yeah it was over the summer. I was you know after God of War, I had this lull, and I was like, I'm really feeling an open world game, which is kind of my favorite genre of game. And I picked, I put back in Shadow of War, and I loved it. I think it is so much fun. I have no idea what's happening. I couldn't tell you what the story is of the game. There are more nemesis than ever. There's just a ton, but it's got the great Batman combat. It's super addictive i found myself clearing stuff for absolutely no reason it's not like it was bringing me a whole lot of joy like the stuff like the collectibles and spider-man it was just like a really nice cathartic which you would find incredibly stressful uh <laughs> map clearing <laughs> exercise which i just love i think this game is stupid for all the right reasons um middle earth shadow of war i think uh we were just talking i think it's stupid cheap right now um, if you have not gotten enough open world fun from Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Spider-Man or all the other open world, Far Cry, all the other open world. Basically worlds, all the games that were released this year. Yeah. Shadow of War, <laughs> I think, is fantastic. I think it is super fun. I think it is... It doesn't... It definitely, even more so than the first game, it doesn't take itself too seriously. So, um, yeah. Middle Earth Shadow of or was the game that I actually put way more hours than I thought I was going to in, and I really, really enjoyed it. I will never finish it, though. I will probably <laughs> never get to that point because I dropped off, and I don't see myself going back. But for, you know, 20 bucks now, go go check it out. Well, uh, that, that does it for... 
the Darkcast Game of the Year wow. podcast series. Four parts. It has been a blast. Joel, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down and talking with me. Of course. And uh, yeah, that that does it for our episodes in 2018. We'll be back in 2019 to talk about more video game stuff. Uh, I hope you like the the new direction of the show. I feel like Game of the Year has really kind of, I don't know, the proof in the pudding kind of thing of what I want the Dark Cast to be uh, as far as, you know, getting a bunch of voices talking about a bunch of different video games. So yeah, if you if you have ideas or if you've got comments, then let us know. Uh, you can email us at podcast at darkstation.com. You can talk to us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com. You can obviously find our website, darkstation.com. Find us on Facebook uh, or give us you know, reviews on iTunes. Uh, we would love to, to hear from you. So for Joel Zerlup and Garland Pan, I'm Jonathan Miley. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, which is next year, have a good one. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year.